There is always tension in the Word of God. When God's Word is taught and preached correctly and humbly, and yet powerfully as attended by the Holy Spirit, God's Word is both attractive and repelling. How is it both attractive and repelling? It afflicts those who are comfortable, and it comforts those who are afflicted. This is just one of the important lessons for us in chapter 3 of 1 Samuel. There are some more insightful contrasts in this chapter as well. Contrasts that are seemingly just in some of the details and descriptions, but they are there. And perhaps the most important development in the beginning of this historical book is that God's silence to his people is broken. And he begins to speak again to his people through Samuel. If you are able, would you please stand as I read 1 Samuel 3, verse 1, through the first half of the first verse of chapter 4. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again. Samuel and Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. And Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli 
that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by the sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May be seated. Now, we learned back in chapter 2, verse 26, that the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. In other words, Samuel was growing up and the years were slipping by. Now, in chapter 3, we get a little more info. In verse 2, we find out that as the years had passed, Eli's eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see. In other words, Eli was blind. And he had his own sleeping quarters, a room that was probably attached to the tabernacle. In verse 3, we also see that Samuel was actually taking over Eli's responsibilities. Samuel was sleeping in the temple so he could take care of, among other things, lighting the lamp of God. And as we learn there, the lamp of God had not yet gone out, indicating that it was close to dawn when all this was happening, since the lamp was supposed to be burned from evening until the morning. So how old was Samuel about right now? We can't say for certain. But he had probably reached adolescence. All this info is here in our text. And that means it's important. And it's important as we find out what's about to happen. But the main thing that we should know as we look at chapter 3 is that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision, verse 1. A vision was one of the ways that God communicated his word to a prophet, which was then to be given to the people, meaning that the people of God had not been hearing God's word for quite some time. They were in dire straits. 
because God's word had only come to them in very rare instances, such as we saw in chapter 2, verses 27 through 36. So the question that everybody should be asking right now is why was God's word so rare during this time in Israel? Why was God silent? In Psalm 74 and numerous other places all throughout Scripture, the absence of a prophet's counsel for Israel is part of the misery of God's judgment upon his people. God was allowing Israel to wander in spiritual darkness, a darkness that she actually seemed to prefer. Remember, these were times where everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, they did what they wanted to do. This is the age-old problem of corrupt leadership in Israel and serving other idols and gods. And how many times did it happen? I don't think we can count them. It's over and over and over and over and over again. And we would have been no different. This wasn't a Jewish people's problem. This is an illustration of mankind's problem. But we already know in this book that God has been raising up somebody who is about ready to receive his word, which means something. What does it mean? It means that God's silence is about to be broken. In the seven verses from verse 4 through 10 in 1 Samuel 3, we see the word call, calls, called, calling, which is the same word. It occurs 11 times in these seven verses. God specifically calls Samuel four times, but Samuel thinks it's Eli calling out to him the first three times. The first time, Samuel runs to Eli, but Eli tells Samuel he didn't call him to go back to bed. Every parent in here knows what that's like. The second time, the same thing happens. But here we find out why Samuel doesn't understand what's happening. And we find that out because God tells us in verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord... And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, don't go too technical here. Samuel worshiped the Lord. He ministered to the Lord. The point is that Samuel did not yet have any direct experience of hearing or receiving God's word. So he simply didn't recognize it. He didn't recognize the voice, the source. The third time, the lights come on for Eli. 
verses 8 and 9. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now we could write a whole other chapter about what's going on with Eli here. But he had been God's priest his whole life. Fourth time God calls, Samuel is ready to hear. Verse 10. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. You know, anytime you see in the Bible when God says somebody's name two times in a row or three times, it's either big trouble or it's big, just big. This is big. Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Now, if you're looking at these verses and trying to figure out how to apply them to yourself right now, you're in for quite a confusing struggle. In our day, believers are in a much different situation than the one Samuel was in, who had a specific calling for God for a specific redemptive purpose with his people Israel In the Old Testament period, we are not called to receive direct revelation like Samuel was, mainly because the scripture, God's word, the Holy Bible, is now complete and has been for quite some time. In other words, we are in no way prophets as Samuel was to be a prophet. God's completed revelation in the coming of Jesus Christ and his written word means that the church today possesses the final written word as we await the return of the Lord. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And how have you been born again? Through the living and abiding word of God. The question we should always ask first, which many of us skip because we think the secondary things are are more important and we want answers to every little jot and tittle. But the primary question that we should always ask first is, what do these verses reveal to us about God? If you get that one right, the other things tend to fall in place where you can abide them. What do we learn about God here? Isn't it extremely kind and gracious of the Lord to take Samuel down this path of hearing God's word 
in this step-to-step fashion. What do you think? Samuel had a little time to catch up on what God was doing. Yes, this seemed to come from nowhere, but he walked him through it out of a kind and gracious character that is true of our God, that was right for this situation to this probably adolescent boy that he was calling to start in his office as his voice, his prophet, that would have this incredible effect on his people and several of Israel's first kings. So he walked him through it. One way we can see this is just to ask yourself, do we sense that God is being impatient with Samuel here? Or do we see that God seems to be in no apparent hurry? This is important for us because most of us are frazzled beyond the point of being able to hear anything. We don't sense any divine exasperated sighs. Come on, Samuel. How many times do I have to call you in the middle of the night? I mean, whose voice could it be? Come on, Samuel. You are so slow. We don't sense any of that. We may sense it in us, but we do not see it in God Almighty. The Lord is willing to give us time to understand him. He moderates his instruction to our condition, is how one preacher said it. He knows how to work that in each one of us who are different. One of the things that I know Marty and I have said over and over and over again as we're now on the other side of you know, the midlife line is, oh, why didn't we see this earlier? What's the answer? We are so fortunate that God took his patient kindness and applied it to us and walked us through all the experiences of our lives so far to get us where we are right now. Can you say that? This is what he's got trying to work in each one of us, no matter how young or old you are. Jesus said in John 16, 12, something really interesting in dealing with a a group of 12 particular men who we identify with, mainly because of slowness and other characteristics that seem to interrupt the plan. I still have many things to say to you, 
but you cannot bear them now. God knows when we will be able to bear them in faith or understand it or apply it or get it. And he is committed to doing all of that in every single one of us. So the question I want to ask is, do you know this about the God you have entrusted your life to? Or is your first reaction, oh man, he's ticked at me. Yeah, God will have some form of being able to get us along, but we think about this in human terms and and we just blow up his character into something that he is not. That's something really important to think about today as we look at this chapter. Do you know this about the God that you have entrusted your life to, that he is extremely kind and gracious, and he's patient with us? Especially when you look at the long-term experiences that we have. That doesn't mean what? It doesn't mean that we presume upon his kindness and his grace. Because once you realize this, it's really hard to presume upon it anymore. That's an evil heart. And he'll work that out of you too. Then we see God gives Samuel his word. which is the coming judgment upon Eli's house, the man who has raised this little boy since being weaned, his mentor. Now Samuel hears directly from the Lord. What does he hear? A shortened and more direct version of the threatened judgment Eli has already heard once. What this does is confirm that the message Samuel heard really was the word of the Lord. But think about that. It's an adolescent. Was that really God? Well, he knew because he lived there that another prophet had delivered the same message to Eli. At some point, He knew probably a lot about that. And so hearing this from God, personally, just him, confirms that the message that he heard really was the word of the Lord, but it also scared him to death. This word of judgment is against Eli's house, and it confirms something. It confirms that, okay, That judgment, threatened judgment, had been delivered, but now this sure sounds like the Lord is about to activate all of his threatened judgment against Eli and his house. It's getting ready to start. 
Because why? We read it in our text, because Eli's unrestrained sons kept on and kept on taking God lightly and treating the Lord with contempt. And Samuel had first-hand, over-and-over-again experience of seeing that. In verse 14, the Lord says that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice of offering forever. But Bobby, I thought we just came to the conclusion that God is kind and gracious and patient. He's also just, righteous, and holy, and he knows when the line has been crossed and there is a point of no return. He knows that. So we need to think about something here. The reason seems to be for this, that Eli's sons had blasphemed against the very sacrifices that God had ordained for the cleansing of sin. That was their specific, in-your-face fist to God. And what we need to understand here is that death was the penalty in the law for showing contempt for the priesthood. Deuteronomy 17, 12. And Eli was implicated because he did not restrain Hophni and Phinehas in verse 13. Also, blaspheming the divine name was always a capital sin. Leviticus 24. So the house of Eli had committed blatant sins against God and showed no signs of remorse over a long period of time. So what we read here is that God determined to carry out a just death sentence upon them all. That's what this is. He's delivering a message, Samuel is, that had already been given by another man who we don't even know who he was, a prophet, to Eli, that God is going to do this. It's already been determined. And the sentence is death from this life. Now, The next question, these kind of build. The next question, is Samuel ready to proclaim God's word? It's one thing to hear God's prophetic word, but it's another thing to obey the Lord in proclaiming it. And if you've ever spent any time in the Old Testament, you know that this is almost across the board, the universal reaction of every prophet God called. Because what they were, they were kind of like the state's prosecutors bringing the charges against God's people. Who wants to deliver that kind of message? Some of the saddest, most agonizing portions of the Old Testament are the prophet's calls to deliver the message of what God's going to do. 
to his own people because they just will not do anything but rebel. Well, we see this in verse 15 with the simple sentence that packs a whole lot in it, doesn't it? That Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Yeah! This is when he got up. It was pretty much right after he heard it. He opened the doors... There wasn't, well, I'm going to think about it for a week, a day. I I need to work up to this. Let me get older before I tell Eli this. It was, are you going to deliver it now? And God, in his kindness, works through one of the subjects of his judgment, Eli. And Eli says, you tell me. You've got to tell me all of it. And you better not leave anything out because this is God we're dealing with here. God's prophets in Scripture all had to deal with this hard truth. Something every one of us needs to think about is this. So does anybody who teaches God's Word, preaches God's Word, or seeks to communicate God's Word, or seeks to apply God's Word in hard circumstances. This is part of the package. It's not just this prophet's responsibility. It's not just mine. It's not just your Bible study leaders, your Sunday school teacher. It is yours. If you deal with this book, we are responsible for the message of it. Dale Wright Uh, Ralph Davis writes this. If a preacher never places you under the criticism of God's word and never tells you your sin, but only smothers it and smothers you with comfort, you've got to wonder if he's a phony. If his preaching contains only the judgment note and seldom offers comfort and encouragement, you've got to ask if he actually cares for God's people. This is the tension that we've been talking about of the word because it is both attractive and it's repelling. It afflicts those who are comfortable And it comforts those who are afflicted. Eli's the one who called Samuel and asked what it was that the Lord had told him. What does that say about Eli at this point in his life? We should notice here that Eli again calls Samuel my son. I don't know whether you noticed that or not. It's an endearing term that he also used in verse 6 when he was telling him to go back. The second time God called 
and Samuel runs in, and Eli said, I'd not call my son. Lie down again. This is a very endearing term. And we've got to see that obviously there is a really close relationship between them, especially since Samuel was everything his older sons were not. Samuel then, we read in verse 18, the first part, an adolescent boy that God was calling to be his prophet to deliver these messages to his people. And his first test was to deliver a hard one to whom? The person he was most closest to on the face of the earth. Samuel then told him everything and hid nothing from him. The adolescent boy obeyed his God and delivered the excruciatingly hard message to his mentor who was raising him. Eli's response, it seems that he's resigned to the Lord's sovereignty without any reluctance. He says, it's the Lord. Wasn't any doubt. Let him do what seems good to him. Do you see somebody who just feels helpless? He knows he's blown it. He knows God's judgment is just. He knows his house is a mess. David was in this situation later, we read, and he just says, it's up to you, God. So what can we say about Eli? Well, I found one commentator who was actually willing to write down, recorded forever, sort of, what he thought of Eli, because this is a tough one. He says that Eli could bear much, though he could dare little. He could submit but he could not fight. So we see Samuel being raised up. Well, as we get toward the end of this chapter, we see really the end of something, and we see the, the beginning of something else. Verse 19. And right in the middle of all this, and we're all sitting here going, oh, man. And we're thinking about this and that and how this would apply and what that would be like and what it would feel like and how could he do this and, oh, he had to do this. And that whole situation, and we read in verse 19, and Samuel grew. And the Lord was with him. And he let none of his words fall to the ground. What a statement. Samuel, as a boy, responded to God's call in his life with reverent and humble obedience. The phrase at the end of this verse, and the Lord let none of his words fall to the ground, means that God caused his prophetic messages to come true. Samuel, as a prophet, was able to speak the truth to the people 
in a way that was valid and credible. And we see this immediately happen after all this becomes known. But we also see it probably develop more slowly as these judgments were carried out, which is just a chapter or two away, at least the first part. One of them at the end of the judgment carries on even longer to the last priestly member of his house. But you know what? I bet a whole lot of people knew all those details. When God speaks, he carries it out. Just think of all the sound bites we could make out of that. Verse 20. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. God now had established a prophet in residence at Shiloh. That's one way to say it. God's voice, his word, was to be heard again. And this word of God through his servant and prophet Samuel would be coming to all of Israel. Chapter 4, verse 1. Which, as we've noted, and we need to address here, is like a coin. There's two sides of having God's word come to a people on a regular basis. It's an immense privilege, and at the same time, it's a terrible responsibility. Okay, because you can't do one without the other. You've got to see both sides of it. This is the perspective that we have as believers before our Creator and Savior who is Lord and all. It's an immense privilege to have the Word of God. And it's also a terrible responsibility because it's so easy to ignore the responsibility. But the more we see it as a great privilege, immense privilege, the more the responsibility part doesn't look terrible or too much. To help us remember all these lessons about who our God is and how he works from this pretty incredible chapter, let's remember the contrasts that are here in chapter 3 which is one of the reasons they're all here. And there's a bunch. You may be able to find some more. Eli the priest was blind. But God raised up a boy who had a vision of God giving his word. Eli was sleeping in his own place while Samuel was sleeping in the temple. Now, how many of you are going, only the high priest could go in to the most holy place? He wasn't sleeping in the temple. What's on the other side of the curtain from the ark, where the ark was? The lamp. He could be in there. That was his responsibility. So don't ruin the text by thinking too technical and thinking that 
God made a mistake here. He made no mistake. This all happened in a time when the lamp of God, which symbolized what? God's presence in the holy place of the tabernacle, was very dim, but not yet completely out right before dawn. It was getting low. That's very, very descriptive of the condition of Israel and what God was doing. Think about it. The lamp was low. It would go out unless the priest got it going again with some more oil. God was about ready to light it again. And he was going to use his prophet Samuel to do it. The voice Samuel clearly heard before dawn was not his mentor, Eli's. It was the Lord's. The word of the Lord had been rarely heard for quite a while in Israel, but the word now came to all Israel. Samuel's first encounter with hearing God's word directly took four specific calls of God. And he was afraid to tell Eli what God said. But he finally did what was hard, and he obeyed and delivered God's message. And at a tender age, Samuel was established by the Lord as a prophet of God. And are we getting ready to see some incredible ways that God used this young man as he grew. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we learned so much about you in this passage. The way you work in us with kindness and grace and patience. And at the same time, we see that we need to heed your word that we can't ignore it, that we can't despise it, that we can't blaspheme it, that we can't shake our fist in your face over it. We thank you that you accomplish your purposes completely in your own time. And we see how all this has transpired because we can read the completed story up to our day. We live on the other side of you sending your Messiah of Jesus doing the work that was pointed to and we revel in in our thankfulness and gratefulness as we realize that you saved us in spite of our sin and when we were yet your enemies oh God we pray that you would work powerfully that your spirit would attend your word in our hearts that you would Encourage us in our stands when it's so terribly hard to follow through and obey. That we would do these things with grace and your inner strength as we tremble before you. Knowing that it's your strength and you're the one that changes people's hearts and leads. God, we ask for your glory to be known here in the place where we live. And that you would do a work in the hearts of the people of this particular part of the world we need you 
Our culture needs you. Only you can change hearts. Speak. Speak to us through your word. Give us the power and the strength to obey in faith and love and gratitude for what you've done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand for our, our benediction? Well, let's just use verse 21. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Amen. You're dismissed.